0: midtown detroit studios of wdet
1: this is detroit today do you think america's system of government is broken with mounting gridlock and extremism between the parties many are dissatisfied but how did we get here and what are the solutions Coming up on Detroit Today, we'll speak with Lee Drugman, a senior fellow at New America and author of the book Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, the case for multi-party democracy in America. We'll explore his ideas and try to fix American democracy with you next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Detroit today. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson. Most everyone agrees that our political parties are very different. And it's not just that they have different preferences. They operate in different ecosystems. The people in them consume different media, have different friends, and occupy different professional bubbles. At the national and state levels, that often means gridlock. It's a lot harder to pass legislation when you don't agree or even like the people across the aisle. But it's not just the people. Our political parties can make passing legislation easier or harder depending on how they are constructed. Right now in America, because there are so many opportunities for vetoing legislation, it's quite hard. But there are also ways to make our democracy more representative, with majorities holding more power clearly while also helping the country depolarize. Some structural changes have happened locally. And after passing a proposal to make it easier for people to have access to the ballot, some advocates here in Michigan are discussing the possibility of ranked choice voting. To be sure, it's unknown whether this will be something like a ballot measure, but the procedure has some excited because it's known to offer more representative democracy. But what exactly is ranked choice voting and what can it do to depolarize the country or state? And what are other serious reforms we should be considering at the state and national level to make our democracy smoother and to make partisanship less intense? To talk about this, we're joined by a man who's been thinking about these issues very thoroughly, Lee Drutman, a senior fellow at the New America Center and author of the book Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, The Case for Multiparty Democracy in America. He's also a contributor with 538. and as a senior fellow, he's in the political reform program at New America. Lee, welcome to Detroit Today with you. Hey, it's good to have you here as well. Uh, Everybody acknowledges we have a big issue with partisanship and polarization uh, here in America. So why don't we just start at the beginning? What is causing our two parties to be so much more polarized? Where did this come from?
2: Well, it is the result of uh, many decades of changes that have led to the sorting of our two parties into two very distinct coalitions with very little overlap. Uh, It's a function of the nationalization of our politics over the last 60 years or so and increasingly close national elections in which every election for the control of Congress could go either way. So let me just walk through those things really quickly because I wish there were a simple answer that I could give you, but really it's it's these three factors, the sorting of the parties, the nationalization of our politics, and the increasingly close elections. So if you went back 60 years ago, you'd see two parties, Democrats and the Republicans, that had Tremendous overlap, not not much difference. Both parties were coalitions of liberals and conservatives. And in many ways, we had something much more like a four-party system with liberal Democrats and conservative Democrats, along with liberal Republicans and conservative Republicans. Now, starting in the 1960s, as uh, issues of civil rights, uh, various cultural issues, Vietnam War issues, uh, uh, the parties started to sort into a more conservative coalition, the Republicans, which had its real strength in the more rural and southern parts of the country, and Democratic Party became much more of a liberal urban party, uh, primarily north, northeast, uh, west coast, and the parties just separated. At the same time, politics became much and much more nationalized. People began to Focus more on national issues, control of power in Washington. There's a lot of culture war issues that started in the 70s that became more and more central to politics. And then starting in the 90s, you had this uh, period in which, after Democrats controlling the House for 40 years, Republicans took control under Gingrich, who nationalized elections. And then every election, One party thinks it's going to gain the House or the Senate. So there is this sense that the the permanent majority is just one election away. So we can't compromise. We can't legitimize the other side. And if we just make them look out of touch and incompetent, we can get the permanent majority. Well, that majority comes and goes. It's elusive. But in the process, both parties and I think – particularly the Republican Party, though now increasingly the Democratic Party, too, have held together these uh, kind of fractious coalitions by focusing on what unifies them, which is a shared enemy. So... Uh, During this period, there's been more and more heated rhetoric that the other side is dangerous because that's the only thing really keeping the parties together is the threat of the other side winning. And all of this feeds on itself, it creates a reinforcing dynamic, what I've called the two party doom loop. And it just keeps getting worse and worse because there's no way for it to resolve on its own. The the logic of this is that it pushes towards one side trying to gain total domination through whatever means possible. Uh,
1: I have to tell you, we put the title of your book uh, here at the station on the board, uh, where we do our calendaring and had guests here, and someone saw Two-Party Doom Loop and mentioned it as a a great rock band title. So you might want to go out and make sure to copyright that. But as we speak with Lee Drutman, the uh, senior fellow again at New America and author of the book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop. I wanted to get into a little bit. You mentioned that Newt Gingrich nationalized our uh, elections, but that would require local bodies to allow for this nationalization uh, to the extent that we have this idea that all politics are local. Why aren't local um, uh, uh, organizations asserting more authority than uh, to push back against that nationalization?
2: Uh, well, I, I one I, I just want a second. I, I would love it if somebody starts a rock band. I, I'm I'm happy to happy to share the You're name very good. If, if anybody if anybody you know I, I'm I'm available for keyboards. Uh, <laughs> uh, if anybody wants to start that yeah, rock excellent. band? Uh, the 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 question of local institutions. Well, what are these local institutions of, of which you speak? Uh, the the challenge, and this has been a a broad dynamic over the last many decades is that local institutions have started to dissipate. Uh, You probably know better than most people the challenges of of local news and how so much focus is on national politics uh, and how local newspapers have fallen away uh, throughout the country. So uh, local Uh, Local parties are not really meaningful institutions. They're just in in many ways uh, pass through vehicles for funding the national parties. So there has been a tremendous nationalization of all of our political institutions. So there's not really much left in the way of local political institutions. There's a wonderful book on this, the uh, Increasingly United States by a friend of mine, political scientist, Daniel Hopkins at the University of Pennsylvania, that I highly recommend. And he charts the steady development of this, how people, Everywhere are just much more focused on national politics. And they're using national politics and their feeling towards the parties in Washington and towards the president to shape how they think about local politics. And now local political issues are really just the continuation of national political issues. So there is really no difference at this point. All, all politics is now national. And that's problem for for many reasons, but that, that's where we're at in this moment as we speak in December 2022.
1: One solution to this issue that comes up a lot and people have been using or thinking about is ranked choice voting. It's been implemented in places statewide in Alaska, for example, in our most recent election. It was used in East Point, which is a, a local city here in Michigan. Can you explain to our listeners how ranked choice voting, uh, what it is and how it works?
2: Yeah, so ranked right choice voting is a slightly different way of doing voting. So the way that I think most people are used to voting is you go to the ballot box, pick one candidate, and then the candidate who gets the most votes, whether it's you know, 40% to 39% or 60% or 80%, or what, you know, whoever gets the most votes doesn't have to be a majority, that's you know, be a plurality, uh, wins that seat within a single winner context. Uh, now, what ranked choice voting does is it allows voters to, instead of having just one option, to rank the candidates from their first preference to as many as five preferences or in some places, even more. And then candidates get eliminated uh, from the bottom up. So the candidate who has the least first choice preferences gets eliminated first. Their, their votes get transferred to their, their voters second choices and so on until a majority is reached within that um, single uh, uh, winner context. And the, the, Potential benefits of that are that it uh, uh, makes it easier for people to vote for the candidates that they want, even though it's possible that those candidates are not going to command a majority sport because they get essentially a backup vote. They get a second choice vote. So it encourages more candidates who might not otherwise win to enter uh, uh, the race and arguably, at least in, in, uh, Local nonpartisan elections that leads to a more uh, consensus-oriented compromise style of politics. I've been studying ranked-choice voting for a long time. I've done a comprehensive report on it. I think there are definitely some benefits uh, of ranked-choice voting, but I I increasingly worry that it's kind of minor tinkering on the edges uh, of a system that is – really broken at a much higher level. And it it preserves the the single winner election, which to me is the problem because of the way that that leads to so many uncompetitive elections. And what what we really need is a more proportional system uh, that allows for a much broader diversity of representation across a much fuller political spectrum.
1: Well, I guess that begs the question, Lee, then what would that better system be? Can you let our listeners know?
2: Yeah, so I'm a big uh, supporter of proportional representation. Now, that describes a a broader family of of political systems, which basically ensures that a party's vote share in the election equals its share of seats in a legislature. So... Practically, I think a system that would make sense is instead of single-member districts, you have five-member districts. So what you do is you combine five existing districts into one larger district, and then you elect five representatives uh, by party vote. So if Democrats get 60% of the vote, they should get three of those five seats. Now, practically, that also means that you would allow for parties that might – only command 20 percent of the vote. But uh, the idea that just Democrats and Republicans could represent an incredibly diverse country uh, is, uh, I, I think, you know, insane. Is, is that, you know, that's one uh, way of describing it. Is that, is that a word we can say on NPR?
1: Yes, go ahead. Okay. All right, we're speaking with Lee Drutman, senior fellow in the political reform program at New America and a contributor to 538. He's also the author of Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, the case for multi-party democracy in America, talking about potential solutions to our gridlock, our system here in America. Are there ways that we could do it better? But we also want to speak to you about this issue. What's causing our political polarization? And do you think anything can be done to limit it? What Uh, solutions have you thought about, Uh, preferably those that would fit within the Constitution, as that can be a limiting factor here. But, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, we'll take that as well. Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019, and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, Lee, piggybacking off of what you're talking about with proportional uh, representation, uh, it seems you're giving a lot of power to the parties, I want to confirm how would uh, representatives for each of these parties be selected? Would that be something where their constituents get to vote on the representative or are they selected by the party apparatus itself?
2: So I I, I want to confront something here that that I think there's tremendous skepticism of political parties in the U.S. uh, and what We've tried to do in in previous reform eras is to weaken political parties and make it harder for political parties to uh, uh, perform what what I think is the essential function in a democracy, which is organizing what would otherwise be a chaotic and and uh, really incoherent uh, uh, policy space and and creating alternatives that voters can then choose amongst. Similarly, vetting and uh, kind of developing candidates. I think that that's also a, a central feature of political parties. I think the U.S. political parties have done both of these things somewhat poorly, particularly the second, because we have just two parties and parties don't have control over who runs under the party label, which has made parties sort of... Uh, taken over by their extremes. So I I, I think it actually might might sound a little counterintuitive to folks who uh, think that parties are destructive, uh, but but we actually need political parties and we need political parties that have some uh, control over who their candidates are and what their candidates stand for. And voters then have... Five or six meaningful alternatives. So it actually winds up empowering voters more to have meaningful choices and it helps voters because those parties actually stand for distinct things. So the idea that is often common in this reform space that we just want more independence or we want more uh, direct democracy to me misses the point that somebody has to choose who those candidates are. And if it's not the parties, it's going to be people who have a lot of money who can support candidates.
1: Well, then uh, perhaps the reform would be more structural in terms of uh, campaign finance. The reason I bring this up, Lee, and I I take your point here and I I understand it very well, but I also understand the concerns that some would have about, you know, the smoke filled rooms that you hear all the time. And speaking from Detroit, which is a majority black city uh, as African-American person, you know, there were times when uh, when party bosses are selecting people getting your Uh, someone who actually represents your values in there for representation at a party could be a heavy lift, and people have concerns about that. So Oh,
2: oh, oh, absolutely. And, I mean, Detroit is a one-party city, right? Uh, And and so there's no competition. Now, you have a a system of proportional representation in which you have five or six parties. If one party doesn't want to let... uh, a certain group of voters participate or certain communities participate, they can go to another party, right? It, it, when you have just one party or even just two parties, frankly, it, it's it's a lot easier to keep certain groups out. But when you have five or six parties, it's very hard to keep certain groups out because the, the it's easier for them to form a new party if nobody takes them seriously. Now, uh, another uh, – aspect of this is that in the in the two-party system basically uh, you know the, I mean, for Detroit that's a, a one-party town there's re, there's no real opposition well, there should be but statewide uh, uh, both parties essentially have an opposition or essentially have a, a monopoly on opposition so uh, If Democrats aren't doing a particularly great job of representing the black community and Republicans are not going to do it at all, well, where, where where's the black community turn, right? This is, this is a challenge, but in a five or six party system, well, there's going to be other options. Yeah. And Lee, it's I don't big, think it's a
1: big voting block. Certainly. And Lee, I don't think anybody would disagree with you on that. But before we get to phone calls, I just want to ask this one question. How do you then create a how do you get to multiple parties? Then I think everybody would agree. We want more options. How do you get to more options? With right. The, the so mechanism?
2: so. So I think, uh, or one thing we talked about constitutionality. this is totally constitutional by the way, mm-hmm. uh, could could be passed with an act of Congress, but a, an intermediate step and one uh, reform that I've become particularly excited about is something called fusion balloting, which m- may be unfamiliar uh, to, to a lot of folks because it hasn't quite gotten the same play that ranked choice voting has gotten although it's starting to, I think more more and more people are, are, are looking at it. And it's this idea that actually it, it was quite in, in, in wide circulation in the 19th century that you have multiple parties nominating the same candidate. So you could have cross endorsement. So, you know, for example, if there was a, uh, you know, a party that was, You know, a moderate party say that was could endorse Democrats or Republicans. That cross endorsement uh, would signal to voters that you can vote if they endorse Democrats. Say that you could vote for the Democrat on Democratic party line, or you could vote for that Democratic candidate on the moderate party line. And if ten percent of those votes come from the moderate party line, for example, it could uh, really make a a, an a number of districts more competitive. And also for a lot of Republicans who are very dissatisfied with the direction of the Republican party, but can't bring themselves to vote for a, on the Democratic party line, they could vote on the moderate party line. And by creating those party lines through the ballot fusion and cross endorsement system, that creates a way for political parties to form. Because now they have a ballot line, and that is power. My my concern about ranked choice voting uh, and leading to more parties, which I think is important, is that ranked choice voting is really a candidate uh, focused reform. It requires candidates to step up and run, and you know uh, a lot of quality candidates, you know, they they don't want to run unless they have a chance of winning. Whereas a party can form, and. It, particularly a moderate party, would become a kingmaker in a lot of races. Yeah. Yeah. We're
1: speaking again with Lee Drutman, Senior Fellow in Political, the Re- Political Reform Program at New America. But next up, we're going to speak with you. And we've got calls Peter, Frank, uh, Martha, David, Anthony. You guys are going to be up next when we return here on Detroit Today. 1019 WDET. Give us a call. What do you think of our current system of democracy and how could we make it better when we continue on Detroit Today?
2: Bringing you news that
1: matters. Stories that impact your life.
2: Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is
3: 1019 WDET.
1: Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, joined by Lee Drutman, senior fellow in the political reform program at New America and contributor to 538. He also is the author of the book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, the case for multi-party democracy in America. As I break the doom loop of this conversation by bringing in Peter from Sterling Heights. Peter, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Good
3: morning. Uh, I want to speak to the uh, polarization that we're all stuck with, I'd like to think that uh, a root cause of that had to do with the elimination of the fairness doctrine from the Reagan era uh, administration. Would bringing the fairness doctrine back or something like it help bringing more balanced media to to bear so that instead of having a Fox News or a CNN or, or one side of, of the middle, could it be where you could bring something like that back where the media is required to have a balanced opinion?
1: Lee, I, I give the question to you
2: no the answer is no unfortunately it, it's a it's a nice hope but let, let's uh, let me use it to talk more about the role of the media in this because I, I think there is a sense that somehow the the media has failed uh, which like uh, it's, a, it's a reasonable critique but, the but the the reality is that the media is just fractured and and, and it's not coming back Uh but I, I also don't think that we necessarily need a universal media. I, th- I think there is a sort of nostalgia that what we had in a particular era was this, uh, you know, kind of three networks uh, giving the uh, the Walter Cronkite truth and everybody a- a agreed on it and yes, that was uh, true in a particular moment. But we also have to understand who was left out of that and what perspectives were left out of it. Uh, and yeah, you know, I, I think one thing when we think about this idea that there should be just one truth in 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 any country as large as ours, uh, you know, that that feels to me like a, a almost a, a very like totalitarian way to think about things, rather the the way I think about things is that in a democracy, diversity substitutes for neutrality. And what I mean by that is actually it's really important to have a diversity of perspectives uh, because that allows uh, lots of different ways of looking at a problem. And a true diversity means that really the only way to to build a, a consensus is to string together a lot of different perspectives. Now the problem is that what, what we don't what we have is not a diversity we have a bifurcation so we have two separate streams of uh, of media and what we need is not to bring those streams together but rather to actually expand the 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 range in a way that that doesn't fit neatly into this this binary that our politics reinforces. And and the media is ultimately downstream from our politics because our politics determines what the conflict is. And uh, I believe if we had a multi-party system, uh, we would have a much more multi-dimensional conflict. And that would break this binary psychology. If you look around the world and you see countries that have multiple parties, which is most countries, uh, they don't have such a bifurcated media system. It's true, there's there's fringe groups in in every country, but there's a lot more overlap in the the shared information environment that's not from having just one source, but it's having a diversity of sources that, that are not in direct opposition to each other, Very if that makes sense. Uh,
1: thank you for your call, Peter, in Sterling Heights, and that answer, Lee, as we move to our next caller, Frank in Livonia. Go ahead. You're on Detroit today.
0: Hey, good morning. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this uh, ranked choice voting, and the way I vote is I my ballot is mostly blank. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want, I've been to some Green Party things, I've known people in the Communist Party, I would not put my vote for any of those people, uh, no matter what. Um, I think it's time for a new party, and I'd be willing to start one. And, and you know, the, the, the central feature of the party is a, is a position on taxes, and it would just be uh, tax policy should neither enhance nor suppress our behavior. And I think that's one of the big things that is just, you know, our government is, is using that, you know, to, uh, you know, it's like our paychecks. I mean, they, you know, the government just takes 25 30% right off the top. So, I mean, I think it's time for a new party. And like you say, it could be a kingmaker. Uh, You know, we could get, you know, just a few people in the Senate now. There's three people that are not aligned with the party, so, you know, so they say. But, you know, they're going to have to be listened to. And I think that's the way out of this is a basically a new party and let one or both of the other ones just uh, shrivel on the body.
1: Very good. Frank, I do recall seeing taxpayers party on my ballots when I was uh, looking there, but maybe they need to be a larger institution based on what you're saying. But I leave the question to you, Lee, is that the solution?
2: Well, uh, the solution is certainly that we need more parties. I mean, I I agree. And this is a the challenge of the of the ranked ballot is that it actually requires people to have preferences over numerous candidates and numerous parties. So, you know, it, it, maybe people just have one party that that they like and they want, and that's reasonable. And I think that's probably actually healthier. Uh, yeah, I think great. Go go and start a party. We we can. I I would disagree with you on the the question of that everything has to come down to, to tax policy and whether there's a way for tax policy to actually be truly neutral. But you should have a party, develop that program, and then it's a coherent program that is part of the argument. Instead of this binary just us versus them, you add another dimension to politics, which is let's focus on how the tax policy shapes our system. And we do a lot of stuff through the tax policy. I mean, the tax code is a total mess. I, I would agree with you there. You know, I, w- I want to get
1: back to multiple parties in a moment with you. But before we do that, and thanks for your call again, Frank and Lavonia, and adding to the conversation, does that mean we, has, we have open lines? And you can give us a call now, 313-577-1019, to get into the conversation. A couple of things I'm seeing on Twitter right now. We have a message from Brian on Twitter that says, when your government is for sale, the last thing anyone would want to do is fix anything and make it not for sale anymore. We also have a comment from Pond Spy. Uh, on Twitter, saying you're not addressing the dark money manipulation behind the curtain. So, Lee, I allow you, address the dark money manipulation behind the curtain for us, please. Mm,
2: The dark money. Let's shine some light there. Uh, Yeah, Look, I I, I definitely agree that money in politics is a problem. Uh, I think there are tremendous sums of dark money that are floating around, and that is... Uh, problem but I uh, the question is not whether uh, there's going to be money in politics but how that money is going to flow and one of the things that we've we've tried to do in in the campaign finance regulation space is we've tried to make it harder for that money to Uh, be organized around political parties. So it's wound up going in all kinds of different directions. We've also taken a very, or at least the Supreme Court has taken a very absolutist view of money as free speech, which I think is a a seriously wrong direction, but that's where we are now. So my view is that uh, having multiple parties, uh, and if we also, those parties should, frankly, be publicly funded, as they are at most, as parties are in most countries, uh, creates a landscape in which voters have a bunch of different choices. And it's possible to capture, certainly possible to capture one party uh, with money. It's possible to capture two parties with money. But the more parties there are, the harder it is for the, the moneyed interest to capture Every party, or at least that there is a there are a diversity of moneyed interests yeah. uh, who have different perspectives, and then voters have meaningful choices, right. so that votes really matter in a way that that frankly they don't in our current system. Most elections are locked up for one party or the other. When our been our single winner system of congressional right. districts, uh, and so there, there's not any real competition. It's easy for moneyed interest to to control the system when there's no meaningful competition for voters to have a a choice.
1: Yeah, Lee, I got to get back to this, because I've heard you say multi-party system numerous times. Again, in America, we do have numerous parties. They're just not implemented. And so I guess my question would be, are you saying that if we implemented your changes, naturally parties would be created from that? It would just naturally bloom from the ether? Or is there a specific mechanism that you would put in place to enforce, hey, we have these five parties, we have six parties, four parties, whatever that is?
2: Uh, all right. well so why do we have two parties in america two dominant parties it's not because americans want just two parties it's right you look at polls people say two-thirds of people say we ought to have more than two parties we ought to have more choices but in a system of single winner elections with single member districts third parties become wasted votes and spoilers so all energy goes into the democratic party or the republican party And third parties are also rands and, you know, uh, basically have a hard time getting serious candidates or serious money. Now, in a proportional system, you imagine a five-member district, now you don't need to get 51% or even just a plurality to win a district. You can have you can get 20% and so that expands the number of parties that could potentially form it. We, we have parties within our parties the democratic party has a progressive wing and a centrist wing the republican yeah. party i think has has probably three latent factions that are if if the the kind of trump hold on that party were to break you'd see probably three different factions emerge uh but it, when the Political system is this winner-take-all uh, contest over single-member districts. Defection from the coalition means that the other side has a much greater chance of getting total power. So you take away that winner-take-all by expanding uh, district size and making seat allocation proportional, and more parties would emerge and compete. We uh, we we know this. We've we've seen democracies around the world do this. Uh, In the short run, I think fusion balloting is a way to build those parties without getting the the bigger change of of proportional representation, which will, I think, take some time to build a coalition around. But fusion balloting, I think, to me, is a, a relatively straightforward and easy to implement way to allow some of these parties to at least have ballot access and be able to, to, for the time, fuse with one of the two major parties.
1: Gotcha. And again, we're speaking with Lee Drutman, senior fellow in the political reform program at New America. And I want to get into some of those global examples a little bit later. But right now, we have Melissa in Metro Detroit. Melissa, go ahead. You're on Detroit today.
3: Uh, hi, good morning. Um, good Morning to your guests. Right. So I think it's great to brainstorm these ideas and debate them, of what you know we can do to have a better democracy. But um, I really believe that we need to look inward, and the biggest burning question we really, I believe, we should have is why do some of us want democracy and why do uh, some of us not want democracy? Why do some of us want maybe a democracy for our little group, but we don't want those people to have a democracy. Yeah. Why? This is this is what will, will be sustainable if we change as individuals within us.
1: Thank you for your point, Melissa, in uh, Metro Detroit for calling. As uh, Lee had been talking about discussing, when everything becomes so high stakes, it seems people are willing, uh, sometimes on the extreme, it's just most important again in the Tomb Party Doom Loop uh, to make sure that your side has power. Uh, but Lee, I present the question to you or the comment.
2: Well, well, you gave an excellent answer, Nick. I, yeah. I, pretty, pretty much what right. What I would say is, is that uh, yeah. Well, when the stakes become so high, and it seems like the other, if, if our side loses, then that's it, right? In a two-party system, uh, highly polarized two-party system, elections just become head counts. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially what, what we have now. And if elections are just head counts, and our side is on the losing side, and we are told by our political leaders that the other side is illegitimate, maybe even dangerous, anti-American, they cheat. Well, then maybe we should take extraordinary measures. This is the logic of the doom loop. Now, to... to, Certainly, there is important cultural change that could happen, and I I think that we ought to work towards being more tolerant of difference and diversity in this country. I 100% agree with that, but I think we have a political system, a binary, high-stakes political system that fundamentally works against that, undermines that.
1: Thank you for your call again, Melissa, in Metro Detroit, and we've got full lines that we are going to continue to get through as we continue our conversation with Lee Drutman, Senior Fellow in in the Political Reform Program at New America, and get to your calls next on Detroit Today when we continue. Enjoy today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson speaking. With Lee Drutman, a senior fellow in the political reform program at New America and author of the book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, the case for multi-party democracy in America, talking about how we can fix our issue with partisanship here and polarization in the country. Speaking of the country, Lee, before I want to make sure that we uh, answer this question or get into other examples globally, sometimes in America, I think we can only look at our politics, think our system of democracy was first, you know, it might be the best, but are there examples? examples? examples around the world and some of the things that you have brought up as potential solutions and how have they worked in those countries?
2: Well, if you look around the world and you will find that the norm is to have multiple parties and there are a range of countries, some more functional than others. But uh, if you want to look at say Germany or New Zealand or Ireland or many of the Scandinavian countries. Those are all countries with long-standing multi-party democracies Uh, and the, the coalition shift. There's different coalition governments after different elections. But the politics are relatively stable and the economy is relatively stable. And it's not that these countries are perfect, but they manage to channel their disagreements in productive ways. Uh, when you look at countries that have, that in which politics has become more more binary, more us versus them, you're looking at countries like Turkey, like Hungary, uh, where you have them, a very similar urban rural divide, uh, and a highly binary political system that becomes deeply unstable. This is Barbara Walter, who wrote this book about uh, how civil wars start, notes that all of the countries that have had civil wars have been majoritarian countries as they, they tend towards two parties, whereas in proportional systems Uh, there has not been a single civil war. So it's a way to manage conflict better because no division ever becomes permanent. Coalitions are constantly shifting. And although sometimes politics is messy, guess what? Politics is messy. Uh, the, The question is whether politics becomes everything and all or nothing. And when it becomes everything and all or nothing and zero sum, that's when you get into dangerous territory of violence and civil war.
1: Lee, I'm glad you brought up the name Barbara Walter. We actually had her on the program, so you can go back and listen to that. Listeners on Detroit Today, search for it and find that. As we move to Martha in Ortonville and bring you into the conversation, Martha, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today.
3: Yes, um, and related to this topic, um, Newt Ginrich was being interviewed briefly on uh, All Things Considered Friday, and he was saying he doesn't say that Biden stole the election. He insists that the election was rigged up front, which is what Trump kept saying even before the election. It was a rigged. And with today's voting, whatever we have, whatever your guest is calling this, how are they justifying this? I, he, Mary Louise didn't make him specify rigged how. And I don't get how they're saying that this could have been a rigged election. What do they think was rigged?
1: Uh, I appreciate your call, Martha, in Ortonville, from what I've seen from our reporting. It's just kind of there's the uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. Something doesn't seem right. How could uh, the Democrats get so many votes in areas where they didn't get it before? It must have been rigged. And then a lot of uh, explanations fill in there. I don't know if you're an expert on this or have an answer to that, Lee. Uh, if you don't, that's OK. But uh, do you do you I, know what they're? I, saying I mean? Those- Go ahead.
2: Uh, it, 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 it's not a. Uh, a uh, theory grounded in fact. Right. It's it's just making up uh conspiracies right like it's it's a it's a style of politics meant to make you feel like you can't trust anything this is ah, what yes, yeah. putin has perfected right. in in russia is you can't trust anybody right? right this is it's not it's not about like making up a theory based on evidence it's about making people feel like they can't trust anything right. and therefore the only thing they can trust is
1: Trump. Right. Thanks. Thanks for your call again, Martha and Ortonville. As we move on to we will move on to our next caller, but I got to make sure to loop in some of these uh, statements from Twitter as we have Shannon on Twitter, who says it's difficult to end polarization when one side has people openly courting Nazis and insurrectionists. And then these extremists are equated with leftists who want universal health care and fair elections. We also have Michael on Twitter, who says the guests referred to a time when both parties were a combination of liberal and conservatives, then that changed. Does he think the parties are reverting to that? Or maybe even the liberal versus conservative is not a thing anymore besides marketing? I present that question to you, Lee.
2: Well, I I do think that liberal versus conservative is become increasingly meaningless, uh, that we do need a new language to talk about the nature of our political conflict. Uh, so I, I'm uh, yeah, I, th- I think the the idea in the past was that the the liberal and conservative was a, a different axis of democratic versus Republican. And now that so essentially politics was much more multi-dimensional, whereas now it's one-dimensional. Uh, but uh, conservative means so many different things. It's kind of a meaningless term. Uh, liberal means so many different things. It's kind of a meaningless term. This is sort of a, a more general problem with political terminology: is that as things get widely circulated, they get used in a lot of different ways. So I I, I think it's a moment of political transition in which we do need a new language, but nobody has yet come up with new language, so we're stuck using the old language.
1: Alright, as we move on to our next call, David in St. Clair Shores. Go ahead, you're on Detroit today. Uh, Nick and Lee, how
3: can you guys hear me? Hear you great, go ahead. Yep. Wonderful. Uh, Awesome conversation. I wish I could sit and share with you guys forever, but I feel I do want to kind of ask Lee uh, how how this looks in the actual uh, you know, how the sausage gets made, you know, in my head I suppose, you know, I'm just for the sake of argument, I would run under a DSA or Democratic Socialists of America flag. And now I'm in a position under proportional representation. And I want to get some type of like a single payer health care system over the finish line. Would the fact that I would have to obviously make deals and get to get things done, I have to get behind something that maybe I don't like. Maybe like a, a position of a more moderate Democrat of tax breaks. corporations so is that how the sausage will get made to to drive progress well i'm have to give a little bit here but you're gonna so obviously you coalition build and that's how a more multi-party system would force actual policy progress because i you know that i feel like it aids in the disenchantment of voters that they feel like something's not actually happening so i'll take my comments off the air. Thank you, guys. Appreciate
1: it. Thank you, David. I'm really glad you brought up that question because I was also thinking when going through the book, Lee, about hmm, well, what happens with some of the really big sticky issues like gay marriage which would it been, have been able to get over the top in this when it can be marginalized or even moving back, of course, to the civil rights movement. African Americans who are constantly being sold out kind of by southern Dixiecrats and making uh, deals with uh, other Democrats up north and so their policies weren't getting implemented. David, talked about uh, how things would get done uh, in making, terms of making deals. Can you answer his question?
2: I mean, uh, all politics is coalition building, yeah. and all politics is negotiating and deal-making. So the question is, how can you build a winning coalition? Uh, and that varies from issue to issue. Different coalition governments would form. Uh, or you you... Know, Make a case that this is good public policy and large majorities of voters support it and therefore uh, all these parties should work together to accomplish it. Now, uh, I mean, that that's just how politics happens. There's no <laughs> escaping from that. Uh, but. I I think we'd see a lot more progress towards uh, a lot of the issues that we're struggling with right now in a multi-party system because right now the the way things work is that Republicans want to deny Democrats any policy successes when Democrats are in the White House and Democrats want to deny Republicans any policy successes and because there's a, a fair number of veto points in our system it's pretty easy to block and undermine policy because you want to make the other party look bad because you want to get the majority but in a multi-party system there's no one party that's trying to get the majority there's different parties that are trying to assemble different majority coalitions so what you wind up having to do is make deals of course that's i mean our parties are also coalitions they're just coalitions that form before elections whereas in a multi-party system the coalitions form after elections but but we're sort of seeing something like that happening in congress now where it looks like kevin mccarthy is going to have to do a lot of work right. to to get to be speaker now if this were a multi-party system and there were a bunch of different ways to assemble a coalition mccarthy wouldn't have to be beholden to his most extreme flank in order to build that majority you right. could build Different, different majority coalitions that that come out of the center, but right now because there is no meaningful center party, uh, it's either one side or the other, uh, and McCarthy is kind of stuck here. I don't see a unity speaker emerging anytime soon because wh- wh- where does the support for that come from right, right. Uh, where are the where are the multiple parties that could form around that
1: absolutely david and st Clair shores again thanks for calling great question and appreciate it having you in on detroit today with that as lee we're coming up towards the end closing out the show but i want to thank you so much uh for joining us today to discuss uh, potential solutions to uh, our problem with polarization here in america
2: Hey, great to be with you. Couldn't be a more important problem. And uh, I hope people will, will check out my book. And uh, I also have a podcast, Politics in Question. Uh, you can find on all the podcast things. And I've also just started a Substack newsletter called Undercurrent Events, which people can search and sign up for.
1: I'll be certain to check that out as you are again, listening to Detroit Today. Tune in tomorrow when we talk about, uh, talk with Adam Ollier about potentially replacing a statue of Lewis Cass with one of Coleman Young in the U.S. Capitol. It's 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll see you tomorrow.